0: Well, I want to thank um, Jewel for again uh, singing uh, her song, Dim Bones. She sang this song, I don't know, a month or two, maybe a couple of months ago. And, um, and I was so impressed with it, with the words. I mean, I hope you listen to the, to the words of those songs. We kind of tend to think of it more of a, in a lighthearted vein, but it has a very serious Message that I think she brought out very well in her singing of it, which is about the power of the word of the Lord. So after she sang that, I told her I'm going to preach a, a sermon on that passage if she would sing it again. So thank you for uh, for doing that. So with that in mind, let's like, get into our text. We are looking at Ezekiel 37 verses 1 through 14. Now, if you're using the Bibles that you found there in the chairs in front of you, you'll find it on page 614. You'll also find the text in that insert that's in your bulletin. Now, again, if you're visiting and if you're getting confused by when you start to hear me read, that's because I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Those Bibles you have there is the New International Version. They're all fine. And it actually is kind of good when you have different versions because they help bring out different things to light. So, verses 1 through 6, let me read those, which set the stage for what's going to take place. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. And that phrase, the hand of the Lord was upon me, that's Ezekiel's way of saying that he was taken, he was given yet another vision by the Holy Spirit. This happened seven times in the book. Now, in this vision, he sees a, in a valley thousands of skeletons. And it indicates that the, the bones had, had died, been dead for a long time. Okay? Enough to be reduced to bones that were parched in the sun. These are not merely bodies that can be resuscitated. They are but bones, dry bones, no longer even connected together. Can they live? Well, Ezekiel gives a wise reply. O Lord God, you know. And if anyone else had asked the question, the answer is obvious, of course not. But when God asked the question, well, as, as Jesus once said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. And Ezekiel knows that. Now, what is going to be significant is not only what God is about to do, but how he does it. He's going to have Ezekiel prophesy. He is to proclaim the word of the Lord. That's what it means to prophesy. And he is to prophesy to the bones as though they were actually able to hear. And indeed, they are commanded to actually hear the word of the Lord. And so Ezekiel follows his orders in verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked. And behold, there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them. So Ezekiel prophesies and power goes forth. First, connecting the bones together and then step by step, covered with sinews, then flesh, then skin. So that now... Out before him is a valley of bodies, but they're still dead. There is no life. So he goes on, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath. Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath came into them and they lived and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. So he's, first he had to prophesy to bones. Now he's going to prophesy to, to breath. Now the Hebrew word that's used here for breath, so we're called ruah, okay? It is the same word whenever you read the word spirit in the Old Testament, or whenever you hear the word wind. The word first appears in Genesis 1-2. Let me read that to you. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit, Ruah, of God, was hovering over the face of waters. Now, the translators translate ruah as breath in this particular passage because, well, it's a passage about giving life. Okay. And we associate breathing with life. If there's no breath, there is no life. And yet, Scripture teaches that it is the Spirit of God that gives life. The Spirit who is like the wind, And he when when he is commanding the wind, he is commanding the ruah to come. Okay. You might remember Jesus' words to Nicodemus. Let me, let me read them to you. This is in John 3. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. and That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of spirit. We're dead without that spirit. We're dead spiritually. Unless the spirit comes into us and breathes life in us, well, then we're still dead. And we cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So, Ezekiel prophesies again, in the as well, to the breath. And what happens? The wind blows. The breath comes into the bodies. They rise to life an exceedingly great army. Now, who is this army? What is this vision? What does it mean? Well, our third section explains, beginning in verse 11. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people." That's how the people of Israel describe themselves. It is the valley of despair. The valley of hopelessness. They believe that there can be no redemption. Our bones have dried up. We are too far gone. Our hope is lost. There is no Redeemer to look to. We are indeed cut off. The curse that had been pronounced on us if we broke our vow has come upon us. Now, these are not empty words. They're not merely exaggerating their condition. They're just really feeling damned. They know the warning that was delivered by Moses when he first mediated the covenant between them and God. Let me just read a few excerpts because it's too long to read to you. It's from Deuteronomy 28. And this is what if they were to break their covenant vow. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies and you shall be a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. And your dead bodies shall be food for all birds of the air and for the beasts of the earth. And there shall be... No one to frighten them away. The Lord will bring you and your king whom you set over you to a nation that neither you nor your fathers have known. And you shall become a horror, a proverb, and a byword among all the peoples where the Lord will lead you away. All these curses will come upon you and pursue you and overtake you till you are destroyed because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep His commandments and His statutes that He commanded you. They had been warned. They have been warned by Moses and then time and time again by the prophets, even by Ezekiel. And they had not listened. They had not repented. And now, as far as they understand, final judgment has been carried out. There is nothing left. But dry bones, and even these bones are just but a symbol that the people of Israel are dead in their graves, and they're right. The people are right in, are, are, have correctly analyzed their plight. Almost, they did bring God's curse upon themselves for violating His covenant. They have been cut off. That's what the exile is all about. They were cut off from their inheritance of the promised land. They're in exile. And furthermore, yes, they are dead. So dead that they're nothing more than dry bones. They are in their graves. That part of their analysis is correct. But they made a misjudgment. And they have misunderstood Misjudge the intent and the power of Yahweh, the Lord God. So first of all, in regard to God's intent, they had thought that they could actually foil God's purpose for them. God had intended, he'd wanted to establish an everlasting kingdom with Israel, but because of Israel's rebellion, well, his intent was foiled. You know, poor God. tried his best, but Israel, well, they were just too stubborn, too rebellious of a people. They were too tough for him. And that actually is what Israel's neighbors had concluded. Back in chapter 36, let me just read a portion from there. It's verses 19 to 21. God is saying, look, I I scatter them among the nations. And they were dispersed through the countries in accordance with their ways and their deeds. I judged them. But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name. In that people said to them, these are the people of the Lord, and yet they had to go out of his land. Okay? They were people of the Lord, and God couldn't keep them. But I had concern for my holy name. Which what the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. Okay. So it's true. Israel had failed. But what was not true was that God had given up on them. He had made promises. He had promised that when they were sent into exile, he would bring them back. And he would do even greater things, things such as we read about for those of you who were with me two Sundays ago in the latter half of chapter 36. He will redeem Israel yet again, as He did in Egypt. And He will be glorified. That's what He means when He keeps saying, and they will know that I am the Lord. God's intent will not be frustrated. Now, furthermore, God will redeem through His power. He will speak. He will speak and dry bones will come together and they will come to life. He will speak and graves will be opened and bodies be raised to new life. And so yes, Israel, your predicament is as dire as you as you diagnosed it. You're not sick. You're not lost, you're not injured. You're dead. Nothing but bones. You're dead in your grace, but God. But the Lord God has the intent and the power to raise you back to life, and he's going to bring you home. And in a sense, that prophecy was fulfilled. It would take 70 years, but the Jews would return home. They would settle back in their land. They would again be the covenant people of God. They would serve and and worship God in his temple in Jerusalem. It was fulfilled, but even then, only partially, a greater fulfillment was still to come. It would come by God's Redeemer through a strange means of redemption. This Redeemer would himself undergo death. We read a description of it in our responsive reading this morning. Just by chance, actually. This was not planned. Providentially. Let me just read again from that. I am poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted with my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feed. I can count all my bones. This Redeemer was laid in a grave. And this Redeemer's grave was opened. And he was raised from the dead, literally. And as was later said about him, listen to these words in 1 Corinthians 15, Our Redeemer has come. He has died for us. He he was buried. And He has risen. And He will return for us. This is God's purpose for us. And He will fulfill His purpose. And we and all persons will know someday that He is the Lord. Indeed, someday all knees will bow before Him. That's the message of Ezekiel. Now, there are two lessons I would have us to consider this morning. And first of all, one has to do with us as as Christians, as believers. and And that is that sometimes we forget that we once were dead. We forget that our plight was the same as the house of Israel. And here's how we give that attitude away. It's a way in which we judge those who are outside the covenant of Christ. We, we say, well, how can they not believe? We want, you know, How can they not believe? How, how can they act that way? Why don't they get it? As though we came about our faith just naturally and, and easily. We forget that we too were once dead. Here are the words of the Apostle Paul he, as he reminds the Ephesians. It's the same words for us from Ephesians 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, The wonder is not why people will not believe the gospel. It's why anyone who is dead will believe. And they only believe by the power of God. It is by the power of God that the work of redemption was accomplished there on the cross. It is by the power of God that we, the dead, are given the power to believe and to be saved. Again, this is what Jesus was saying in Nicodemus. A person must be born again in order to enter the kingdom of God Till that spirit comes and breathes life into us spiritually. We can hear all the sermons. We can hear the gospel proclaimed as clearly as it can be proclaimed, and we will not hear. We will not respond. This is of a way of saying, let us, instead of getting angry with our neighbors, instead of getting frustrated with our neighbors, all the more let us have pity and compassion and pray for them. Pray that God would do what He would say in Ezekiel, take hearts of stone and give them hearts of flesh. But let me conclude with the most important lesson. Now, it may well be that there are some here who have concluded that your plight is too far gone? You are nothing more than dry bones. You have no hope of redemption, no hope of being raised to new life. It might be because you believe that you're too hardened a sinner, you can't change your ways, that you've committed too many sins, or they've been too grievous of sins; they, they can't be forgiven. It may be that you you have just for so long worshipped the the idols of this world. God cannot forgive that. You can't turn away from them. It may be that you had once followed the Lord, but you have fallen away and so you think, surely now that I have abandoned Him, I have brought the curse down upon me. Perhaps you had tried to change your life and you failed. Not just once, twice, you, you failed again and again. You, you, know, you keep trying to reform your ways and it doesn't work. How could God still redeem you? Still give you yet another chance? Why would God still redeem you? But well, those are good questions. Why would He? I mean, Israel asked the same thing. And yet God redeemed them. So understand this, if God has resolved to save you, do you really think that you are too tough of a case for him? If God has resolved to transform you, do you believe that you actually cannot be changed? This is one who takes hearts of stones and turns them to hearts of flesh. Listen again to the words that he spoke and that he fulfilled for Israel, whom God described as unclean, stubborn, stubborn. And with that heart of stone, he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Just understand this, that while you are alive, while you have breath, you have hope. There is no sin that you have committed that you cannot be cleansed from. There are no failures that God cannot raise you up from. You cannot be too far gone, that God cannot raise you from the dead. The words of our Redeemer are true for us, true for you, if you will but believe. Here, let's close with the words of our Lord that He once spoke. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in Me, though he die, yet shall he live. And Everyone who lives and believes in Me shall never die. We give you praise, our God, for such a promise. Our Redeemer is the resurrection and the life. We can never be too far gone, never be written off as hopeless. But you will carry out your intent and your will for us. You will do it. And Father, I pray for anyone here in this very sanctuary who may have had thoughts such as these. that they could not change, could not be saved, that they are too far gone. Father, open up their eyes, open up their hearts to understand that you are a God who saves, who delights in saving. May they call upon their Redeemer and believe in him. In his name we pray. Amen.